Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. We are finishing our series on politics. We've been talking about it all August, and, uh, and today we are wrapping it up. It is week four on politics, and the series hasn't been about how we want you to vote. The series has been about how Jesus calls us to live our lives uh, in the day-to-day. Uh, how we relate to others, how we love and care for others, the ways that we uh, conduct ourselves and, and interact with people and the first week, we talked about this idea of uh, being called as Christians to live in Jesus's kingdom first, which is hard to kind of wrap our minds around because we live in this kingdom, America, and there's streets, and we can vote, and we pay taxes to this kingdom. And so there's, it's challenging to think about how to, what do you mean I have to live in the spiritual kingdom first while I also am physically living here. And so we talked about that uh, at the beginning of August and, and how do we prioritize and view everything we do and how we live and interact through the lens of our faith uh, first and primary and, and help live in a way, even if the world around us doesn't live that same way, uh, that brings in the kingdom of God. Week two, we talked specifically about how Christians care and interact with each other. Uh, differences are inevitable, but division is a choice. That's what we talked about. And so, so often, maybe more often than ever before, I see people saying things like, you can't possibly be a Christian if you vote that way. How could you love Jesus if you support that policy? And, and so there are differences. We have different perspectives and experiences. And, and, uh, and so we talked about the importance of helping uh, make Jesus's prayer for us a reality. He prayed that we would be one, that we would be unified. That was one of the final things that he prayed before he was arrested. So what does it look like for us to pursue that? Week three, which was last week, we talked about this idea of how do we uh, care for the people in our communities and neighborhoods? How do we love them well, uh, specifically people that aren't Christians, people that don't follow Jesus? And what do they see about us? What is their idea, their, their impression of what's most important to us? Because oftentimes I think that we start to muddy the waters a little bit. And while we say that, you know, God is first and, and I love Jesus and that is true, I'm sure for so many of us, the things that we talk about the most or maybe the things, the ways that we talk about things the most oftentimes sends another message and we can distract people with uh, other types of messages and ideas about what we think is the most important and if I'm honest, uh, as I've been writing this series and spending time reading and praying and researching, uh, I was, uh, you know, pretty convinced. Like, I don't know that anybody, uh, if I'm wrong, don't correct me. <laughs> I don't know that anybody would disagree with what I've said over the last few weeks. I think everybody in general is like, yes, we should love others. Yes, we should have unity. Yes, Jesus should be first. Uh, I, I think that generally speaking, we all agree on those types of things. If you're a Christian, I think that it's like easy enough to nod and, and go along with it. And at the same time, it feels like every one of these weeks is an invitation for us to put our own preferences aside. 
It's an invitation for us to not prove a point when we know that we can win a specific argument, but just to allow, you know, to, to not engage in the argument, to not even engage in this kind of debate back and forth. Uh, uh, it's been an invitation for us to, um, to be second, um, to lose, to, to put ourselves, our preferences, our beliefs aside, even when other people, it seems like they're actively attacking them. And uh, in a way that, that is <laughs> what we've been talking about. That's what we're called to as followers of Jesus. But sometimes we can actually end up starting to feel a little bit hopeless because it feels like we just continue to lose. We continue to set ourselves aside and, and just let other people get away with things. Uh, there's other people who are actively trying to take away things that we hold dear in our lives. Um, and for a lot of us, one of the challenges is as we read the Bible, we uh, like to self-identify as the good guys in all of the stories. Uh, we always like to identify as the people who are being pushed around and taken advantage of. We like to identify as the people that uh, God is always for us. God is always on my side. We like to identify as the heroes of the stories. And that's not necessarily always accurate of who we are as we navigate the day to day. But we can learn from these stories. But oftentimes, you know, we want to be like the prophets in the Old Testament who get to call out all the evil that people are doing and call down curses on them. We're like, yeah, I want to be that guy. I want that job. Until you remember that everybody killed the prophets. Uh, but other than that, I'm like a big fan. I want to be the one that points out all the wrong that people are doing. Or we say, you know what, I, I'm like Israel. And I'm trying to take back the promised land. I want to I be, you know, God's chosen person. I'm going to make things the way that God intended for them to be. And I mean, I don't want like all the dietary restrictions and things like that. But yes, I'm Israel in this story. Or we, we say, you know what? I, wanna, I want my enemies to be covered with the blood of Jesus. I want them to be just like devastated. And, and, and there's a sense for us where it's like we want to be, uh, I think in the Bible, there's a lot of like militaristic type of language. It's a hard word. I have to say it slowly. Uh, there's a lot of language that kind of connotates this uh, anger, violence, defeating our enemies and things like that. And, and in the world, we talk about that a lot too. We talk about what it means to win and lose and defeat and conquer and have power over and all these different things. And while we want to do that, what we don't really want to do is actually be followers of Jesus because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't the conquering military hero. He wasn't the one, I mean, even in his own words, he said, I did not come to condemn the world, which is kind of crazy because it's like if there's one thing that we think that God is doing, it's condemning all of us for all of our actions. Jesus set this example for us. And, and so in our kind of desire, hope, uh, preference to be victorious conquerors, we actually struggle to follow the way of Jesus, which requires us to go back to the line, back to the back of the line. Following Jesus often feels a whole lot like losing. It feels like, uh, well, I'm just going to allow others to win. I'm going to set myself aside. I'm going to take second place. I'm going to wash their feet. Uh, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, these types of phrases. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys, I don't like that feeling. And I don't imagine that you do either. Like, and I'm way more holy than you guys are. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm very much joking. Uh, 
But it's like, that doesn't, it's not the way, like, that's not, a, that's not American. That's not uh, how I want to feel. That's not the way I want to navigate my day-to-day is just like always being the guy who's like willing to set himself aside and let other people do what they want and, and all these different types of, I mean, that is kind of a little bit the way that I am. But, uh, but there's this reality of like, we don't, we don't like that feeling of, of losing, of taking second place willingly. And whether we're talking about our political candidate who may or may not actually lose next year during the election, or whether we're talking about the feeling of what it means when Jesus told us to take up our cross and die to ourselves, loss is is hard for us to process. And oftentimes it leads to a sense of hopelessness. And I think that's something that probably we can all feel when we think about the political realities of this country. It's like, whether you've got someone who is in power or is not in power, there's this sense, I think, that everybody's like, I mean, it kind of feels like we're going downhill and the wheels are flying off the wagon. Like, it's all, you know, it's, it's, there's no hope. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about hope. It's going to be a little bit different than what we've discussed over the last few weeks. But I think it's an important thing. I've talked before about how I officiate a lot of weddings. I actually did, uh, uh, I officiated a wedding yesterday on my birthday because I am so kind. Uh, That's like the fourth compliment I've given myself today. 41 is a year of confidence for me, you guys. I'm just kidding. Uh, But I I was officiating a wedding and, and everyone expects me as a pastor, as a wedding officiant to do the wedding passage. You know the one. You all expect to hear it. And you, ro- you roll your eyes when the pastor starts reading it at weddings. I know, I've seen it happen before. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Let's see, you guys, you memorize scripture. You love Jesus so much. There's this wed- wedding passage, and, and we've kind of all identified it that way. And if there's a passage that's been assigned to the happiest moments of someone's life, I think there's also one that's been assigned to the darkest moments of people's lives. And that would be, in my opinion, Psalm 23. This is something that you've probably heard read at funerals and memorials. Maybe you've been in a hospital room with a family member or a loved one, and, and you've heard it read there. You've probably seen it in movies when terrified soldiers are in dugouts, absolutely hopeless about what's to come, and they're reciting this psalm. It's a psalm that we associate with some of the hardest moments in life. Moments when it feels hopeless, moments when it feels like loss is inevitable or, or we have lost maybe the most important thing to us, grief, uh, pain. Psalm 23 is a, a collection of verses that people read and somehow we're able to find like solace in the midst of everything seeming broken and hopeless. It's a little bit of an odd psalm maybe to read as we're talking about politics, But I think that there's some truth in here that can really help us. And so I want to read it together today. Uh, Psalm 23, we're going to read the whole thing. It's six verses. It fits on one slide, you guys. Uh, This is great. Uh, Psalm 23, David wrote this. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Certainly, goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life. And my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. This is a passage that, again, so many of us are familiar with. So many people that may not be religious at all. They may not consider themselves to be Christian or step foot in a church. There's a familiarity with this. And the idea that in some way we're, we're intended to find hope in this collection of verses and in this psalm that David wrote. And I want to look at it just for a few minutes because I think that there's four things in here that we can begin to hold on to as we think about hopelessness, as you maybe are already weary. There's only been one debate so far in this political cycle. Maybe you're already like, yeah, I'm done. I'm all out on this one. Spoiler alert, there's like 14 more months of this. Maybe there's other things that are happening in your life. It's not just about politics. Maybe there's things relationally, health things, a job, career. I don't know. There's a lot of ways that we can feel hopeless. And I think that there's a few things in this passage that we can hold on to. And if we think about differently, I believe that they can help us. I want to go through just a little bit each one. Uh, in the beginning, I think that uh, verse 2, he says, Let, uh, he lets me lie down in green pastures. There's this reality for all of us, and especially if we're thinking of ourselves as sheep with a shepherd, that we need food. Um, and as I've read this for most of my life, I, I always just kind of picture like Ireland. Like, is there a greener pasture than Ireland? The, the fields and hills of Ireland. You may, I've never been there. And I don't know what they what kind of editing they do in movies, but it looks very lush. And that's what I picture. That's what I hope for, really. But as I've learned over the last few weeks of getting ready, that's actually not what it looked like when David, who was a shepherd in this area, in the Judean wilderness, uh, when he was writing about this experience, um, it didn't look like Ireland. We have a picture, actually. Uh, this is what the area looked like where David was a shepherd. This is what the area looked like where David wrote this. Is that what you pictured with green pastures? Uh, there was a rainy season. There was sometimes about two months during the year where there was more grass. And then there was 10 months where it looked like this. And uh, the grass that grew, it wasn't really consistent. What would happen is that there would be humidity in the air and the way that the wind blew uh, across the land, it would push up the humidity against the mountain and there would be condensation. You guys know how this works? Great, I skipped this day in class. Uh, and it would drip down underneath the rock and then a few blades of grass would spring up and it literally was like a day-to-day -day thing. And so the shepherd would take their flock and they would go and they would lead them to these green pastures. And the flock would eat and it would be enough for that day. Not enough to live off of for a week. And there was this assumption that the next day that they would be led somewhere else, a different green pasture. And I think that there's this piece for us in our minds that we are oftentimes looking for this thing to happen or to be given to us that will solve our problems indefinitely. 
Like, God is so good, he will fix this and we'll never have this problem again. But when we think about the Lord being our shepherd, it's this idea of dependence day in and day out. Whoever gets elected next year, I guarantee they will not solve all of our problems. I promise. They can't. No human can solve all of our problems. They can make good impact, good change. There can be good things that happen. I'm not trying to diminish that. But there's a sense for us of imagining, if I can just get this person elected, if I can just get these people on the Supreme Court, if I can just get this amount of power, if I can just get this job title or this amount of money or this amount of relationship or this spouse or whatever it is, then everything is going to be fine. But we're ignoring the reality that that's not possible. And we're invited to daily trust in Jesus, our, our good shepherd. There's a, a prayer that Jesus taught us, and he said, give us this day our what kind of bread? Gluten-free bread. Just kidding. Mom, that was for you. Give us this day our daily bread. It's this sense of daily dependence, daily reliance, because the reality is, is a lot of times our lives look more like this than they do the lush green pastures of Ireland. So what does it look like for us to, to daily trust and rely on our good shepherd to lead us where we need to go? The second thing in verse two that we see is that uh, he leads me beside quiet waters. Some translations say still waters. Um, and there's a lot that's been written um, on this passage. And, and I encourage you to go. There's like entire books committed to just exploring Psalm 23. But It's kind of crazy. You know what the most frequent cause of death in the Judean wilderness was? It wasn't hunger and it wasn't thirst. It was actually drowning, which is crazy. But the rain would come and it would hit the mountains and not soak into the limestone of that region. And it would just come flowing down the mountains and then it would just begin to wash through the desert which we got a, a bit of a glimpse of this last week, right? With the hurricane and, and it hit Palm Springs and that area. I mean, it was crazy to see just these flash floods that were happening, springing up all over the place. And this was a huge danger to livestock, to shepherds, to people in that area. But eventually the flood would be done. The water would continue washing away. But there were some points where there was like these lower parts and there would be still waters, leftover waters, And obviously the sheep are like, hey, I'd like some water, which is a good thing. We need water to survive. It's a good thing. It's a natural thing. But the shepherds recognized this is a dangerous place. At any moment, there could be a flash flood that would come through here. And I think for us, there's this reminder, as I've been thinking through this, there's this reminder for us as we think about politics. And and I've said this, I think, every Sunday, but just to be sure, I'll say it four more times today. I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in politics. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't care. I'm not saying don't be passionate about these things. They're good things. And it can be dangerous. There's a lot of good things in our lives that if we spend too much time uh, kind of prioritizing or idolizing or too much energy, we begin placing too much stock in these things, good intentions, good leaders, good desires, good waters, that oftentimes it can actually end up becoming dangerous. And so there is this idea of the shepherd leading their flock beside still waters 
and ultimately finding fresh waters, something that is able to be more consistent, less dangerous. The third thing is maybe the most recognized verse of Psalm 23, verse 4, I think that it talks about comfort. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I think all of us long for comfort. We want to, we want to be safe. We want to know that there's a way we're going to make it through the difficult seasons. I think for thousands of years, people have found this verse, this passage, these writings incredibly helpful. Helpful in feeling whole again when it feels like all of life is falling apart. And David paints poetically this vision of life's worst moments. And I probably don't need to pause too long for you to imagine or maybe remember life's worst moments for you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The proximity to pain and loss and grief and fear and all these different things, the only thing that can really push that away is our reliance in God's oversight, God's love for us, God's presence with us. He talks about the rod and the staff. The, the shepherd's rod was essentially like a weapon. He would use it to fight off animals or attackers or whatever it might be. He would use it to kind of clear a path. And the staff had this big hook on the end of it, and he would use that to guide the sheep or the goats, whatever it was, to keep them kind of where they needed to be, to help them avoid where they should avoid. And so both of these things are happening at the same time, this, this clearing away and also this guiding and comforting. We're invited to trust in that shepherd. I used to read this passage, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in need. The Lord is my shepherd is a statement, and I read it that way. Over the last couple of weeks, I've started reading it a different way. I don't know, there's probably, probably a different grammatical term for this. But I no longer read it as like a statement. I read it as a decision. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one that I'm going to trust and hold on to in the day-to-day. -day. The Lord is the one that I'm going to trust to comfort me and care for me and lead me. The Lord is the one that I'm going to hold on to in moments of fear and darkness. And the last one is hope. I think this might be the most confusing part of Psalm 23, at least to me. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. When you are eating, you can't be defending yourself. Although some of your mealtimes are like battle scenes. I get that. But there is this sense of, regardless of who's around and what's going on, God prepares a table for us. There's a sense of how do I engage in normalcy day to day? How do I let down my guard, so to speak, to, to not always be on defense, not always be on offense, but actually to, to sit, to breathe, to take a moment. We get overwhelmed by the political 
landscape oftentimes and different things in life, and we revert to our most kind of animalistic instincts, which are fight, flight, or freeze. We want to fight it. We want to power up and, and destroy our enemies. We want to run and hide, or we just freeze because we don't even know what to do. And I think that David might be inviting us to a fourth F word. <laughs> I just thought of that really now. Uh, that's great. It was much more spiritual in the first service. Um, I think David, rather than fight, flight, or freeze, I think he might be inviting us to, to, to pursue faith, to hold on to faith in the midst of these things. Faith that I don't have to power up and conquer I don't have to turn tail and run. I don't have to be terrified and frozen because of what's happening. But I actually get to sit at a table and participate in a meal, even though it seems like I am surrounded by enemies, people who want to destroy me. I can have faith ultimately in God's presence and God's power. It's precisely when we are in the valley of the shadow of death that it's most important that we lean into the good shepherd. It's in this moment, it's important to remind ourselves whose we are so that we can understand who we are and how we are to live. Um, I don't know that any of us necessarily would have, would think this or say this out loud, but I think Psalm 23 might be the passage that none of us want to have to hear. It's a collection of verses that oftentimes is so associated with grief and loss that it's the one chapter in the Bible. It's like, I hope I don't have to hear that. It's a sign that something has fallen apart. About 400 years after it was written, things were falling apart. Israel had been conquered and taken into captivity in Babylon. They were in a different nation. Politically, things were different. Spiritually, things were different. They were miserable and they were waiting, counting down the moments for God to destroy their enemies. Yes, it's the thing that we all want. And there was a lot of people that were telling Israel like, hey, you know what, guys? Basically, I'm paraphrasing here. You can read about it in Jeremiah. Just hold your breath. Before you know it, we're going to be out of here. Everything's going to be back to normal. We're going to be back on top. All of our problems are going to be gone there's all these people that were speaking this out and God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah to tell them, hey, there's a different thing happening. Ultimately, it would be decades before they were able to experience freedom again. Jeremiah 29 verse 4, it says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says to all of the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and father sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may give birth to sons and daughters. Grow in numbers there and do not decrease. Seek the prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord in its behalf for in its prosperity will be your prosperity. In the 
the darkest moment in the valley of the shadow of death for Israel, being taken into captivity, just absolutely decimated by these pagan uh, nation and, and all of these things, waiting for God to kind of do the silver bullet thing and have all of their problems taken away. In their valley in the shadow of death, God said, here's what I want you to do. Not just hope, not just wish that things will be better, but I want you to actively live a certain way. This is what it means, in my opinion, this is what David was talking about, to set a table in the presence of your enemies. He said, build homes and live in them. You're going to be here a while. Plant gardens, do the work and eat the food that they grow. You're going to be here a while. Get married and have kids. You're going to be here a while. And you're going to be here so long that your kids are going to have kids. I want you to pray for the city. Pray for the place that you feel like is the enemy. And recognize that its prosperity is tied to yours. Its peace is tied to yours. Its health is tied to yours. I think there's this invitation for us to recognize that hope is, there, there's a, an activity that we're involved to participate in. That's how we experience hope, and that's how we spread hope. We don't just say, well, we've lost. It's all going to hell in a handbasket. There's no hope. There's no future. We say, even in the midst of my enemies, God is setting a table and saying, I want you to live a certain way. I want you to exist a certain way. I want you to trust a certain way. I want you to love a certain way. Because Babylon is not their shepherd. Power is not their shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And there's this choice to live actively a certain way. Hope isn't a wish. It is a way of living. We live in a certain way believing that it is true and that it will be proven true. We live in a certain way believing that God has called us to do that and will experience goodness and mercy for all of our days as we live in this certain way, even when it all seems like it's falling apart. All too often, we get overwhelmed and distracted by our desires and wants and preferences, the good things that maybe become ultimate things in our lives. We become so hyper-focused on those things that we begin to prioritize them over everything else, sometimes even the shepherd himself. When Paul, the apostle, was writing a letter to a church, um, he was kind of articulating, hey, you guys used to put stock in all these different things, men and women and, and, and Roman and Israelite and, you know, slave and free. And there was all these different ways that you used to kind of decide who you were and how you were going to live. And he calls them to something different. Those things are no longer worth chasing after. In Colossians chapter three, he says, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And again, this isn't about like, okay, then let me just like put my head in the sand and pretend like nothing is happening. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to focus on these things, focus on what I'm calling you to do, how I'm calling you to live and interact with the world around you, 
This is, this is the priority. Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these other things will be taken care of. Do you know what the other things are that Jesus was talking about? Necessities like food and clothes and shelter. He's saying if you will prioritize and pursue and chase after and actively live in a way that acknowledges that there is a hope, that there is a good shepherd, I will continue to provide and care for your needs. I think sometimes we mistakenly believe that we can find hope in people and politics and parties. And ultimately, we need to remind ourselves that the Lord is our shepherd. The truth is that the thing you are most devoted to will determine what you worry about the most. If you reverse engineer this phrase, the things that we worry about the most might be the things that we are relying to give us hope. They might be the things that we're relying on to be our shepherd. We sang earlier the song, uh, Where Our Hope Is Found, in Christ Alone. And there's this verse, it's a beautiful verse. It says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with hymn King James language like old school songs. It says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I, won't, I don't want to be enticed by structures, frameworks, systems, power, comfort, resources, influence. I'm not going to put my trust in those things as good and delicious and as enticing as they might be. My hope is going to stay anchored to Christ and in Christ. This is, this is the source of life. I believe that. And so for us in the day-to-day realities, the things that we begin to experience worry and stress and anxiety and fear and all these things because it feels like everything is falling apart in the world or in our lives or in our marriage or in our homes or at our work, there's this, this question for us to say, where are we placing our hope? What are we trusting? We tend to read Psalm 23 at moments when all is lost, but I wonder what would happen if we began embracing Psalm 23 as like a foundation that we live from. It's a way to remind us every day, this is how I'm going to live. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm going to rely on him for my daily needs. I'm going to rely on him to let me know, even though if something is good, what happens when it starts to become dangerous. I'm going to rely on him to protect me. I'm going to rely on him to set a table before me. It's difficult because we don't always get to see where we're going. But Oswald Chambers, in a, a devotional called My Utmost for His Highest, he wrote this. He said, faith never knows where it's being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. There's a sense of confidence, of trust in the one that we're following. We want to have the picture of where we're going, but we're invited just to trust the one that we're following, the the good shepherd. When the wheels feel like they are falling off, when we are searching for hope, what are the things that we can actively do? How can we plant gardens, build homes, these types of things? Maybe not literally, but what are the things that we can do to, to remind ourselves that the Lord is my shepherd, not whatever may be currently happening around me. I'm going to keep my hope anchored. So this week, I want to invite 
each of us to ask ourselves this question, to wrestle with this question. Are there people, ideas, or things other than God that I have anchored my hope to? And they may be good things. They're not like evil things. They may be good things. But ultimately, are these things, are they shakeable? Are they strong enough to hold us as we go through the valley of the shadow of darkness? How do we continue to anchor our hope in Christ? I think there's a couple things that we can do. Well, there's probably more than a couple. But I just want to suggest if we begin to recognize that our hope is anchored to something different, what does it look like for us to, to ask the question, how do I live out hope versus just crossing my fingers and wishing? How do I live in a way like Jeremiah called Israel to that said, hey, yeah, this is terrible. It, it seems like everything has been lost, but I'm still asking you to live a certain way so that we can continue to experience the hope that we most long for in Christ. Let's pray together. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today and I hope that I get to see you soon.